Hello everyone and welcome to Punk Lotto Pod, the game where no one wins. I'm your co-host Justin Hensley. And I'm your other co-host Dylan Hensley. And this is the show where using a number generator and the Rate Your Music punk charts, we pick one album and one EP at random to discuss. Okay, so the week we're recording this actually kind of turned out to be a big week for punk, weirdly. Most weeks are not very big for punk because most people don't care. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's big things don't normally happen like all at once like this. Yeah. In the punk world. So So Jawbreaker released another round of shows and I actually managed to get tickets to go to one of these because all the other ones were way too far away from me before. The closest they've come now or they're they're going to be now is Norfolk and uh that's about five hours away, but that's good enough for me. It, uh, it's so weird that they're playing Norfolk. Yeah. Like strange. That's not a scene. <laughs> <laughs> why don't they just play Richmond? Well, they're playing like DC too, so why don't they just play like Atlanta? Yeah. And uh, you know they're not going anywhere in the south beyond Richmond, like beyond Virginia. Yeah. It's really weird. Like they haven't even played like Nashville, have they? Or is this was that one of them on this tour? I don't know. I don't remember the rest of the dates. I know it was like more New York shows and <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I don't think I. I guess the I don't know what the reason why they're doing this. Norfolk's close enough to DC. I guess that's why they're doing it. But it's like just play DC then. Um, but weirdly, I guess all these other bands saw the bank the Jawbreaker was making and they decided they wanted to get back together too. Yeah. Uh, because both Jawbox and Bikini Kill announced they're reuniting and playing shows. Yeah, I guess I'm. I guess I'm gonna go to LA again this year. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to see Teenage Fan Club in February. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, give me a little time in between so I can save up for it. You know. Yeah. I mean, Jawbox is a pretty big deal. So. Yeah, and I don't think Jawbox will keep going. Yeah. Like I don't think they'll play nearly as many reunion shows as. Jawbreaker has or will. Yeah. I mean, I'm actually very surprised they're even doing these because remember when they played that Jimmy Fallon thing? It was a big deal that they even did that. And uh, then they said, yeah, there's no plans. We're not going to do anymore. Yeah. So, <laughs> I assume they did. What is it? Do they just not like nostalgia? Do they not like each other? Was You know, I don't really know why. Like, I know they have. Like, they fell apart because they got signed to a major label. Yeah. And didn't do well, like all the punk bands. Yeah. They got signed to major labels in the 90s and didn't do well. Yeah. And then immediately broke up, except for like <laughs> Sam I Am. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're one of the few. Yeah, uh, and then Bikini Kill, uh, like, they reunited, uh, they reunited, what, 2014 or something like that? So it hasn't really been that long since they've played. Yeah, I thought they had done some other shows. And, and doesn't Kathleen Hanna have some other bands, too, that she is active with? I'm not entirely sure. I think so. Like Le Tigre or something like that. I mean, I don't know if they're like really active. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But um, I guess the other big news this week was uh, the passing of Lorna Doom from uh, The Germs. I guess, is that really all she played in? Was The Germs? I believe so. Yeah. But uh, apparently a lot of people have the um, Germs burn. Have you seen that? Yeah. Like, Mikey Erg and Lara Jane Grace have germs burns, which it doesn't 
Isn't there like a shot of Patty getting one too from D four? Yeah, I think he's I think he's got one too. It's funny. I didn't I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> yeah. The the germs are a band that I didn't get into. I wish I had, because I do like them. I just didn't like they never really connected early on and then I don't know. I haven't gone back to them much. No, I don't go back to them very often either. But I do love the song Lexicon Devil. I believe it's like one of the best punk songs ever written, especially from that time period. Yeah, I'm not like a super germs fan either. It's probably why I didn't know anything about the germs burn, but... <laughs> um, and then was the last big thing was uh, Maximum Rock and Roll announced that they are no longer going to be publishing print copies of their magazine. So the newsprint magazine got too expensive to print. Yeah, I mean... So... Yeah, maximum rock and roll. What's your opinion? Uh, I don't know. I don't. It's Im- have they ever written anything actually important? Well, it is important, like because it's old. Like I mean, it's like the <laughs> punk magazine newspaper for. But they hate everything. everything, right? And that's that's kind of a little bit why I'm like I don't care that they're gone. Like yeah, I mean. I did see a lot of people saying, like, one of the most important things about Maximum Rock and Roll was that, like, I think I saw Benny uh, from Gaslight Anthem tweeted something about, we would cold call uh, labels that were advertising in the magazine and ask them if we could play with their bands, and it helped. (laughs) Like, they would actually make connections that way, so... It's important, I guess, in that way, in terms of connecting people to other punk bands and records. I just, yeah, I don't know. Their editorial perspective is so shitty. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't always so extremely negative. Or, yeah, I don't know what it was like back in the original. Or like only favorably reviewing the most obscure demos of bands that didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because when I worked at uh, Barnes & Noble, we had Maximum Rock and Roll for some reason. And um, I would look at it all the time. And 95% of the bands I'd never heard of that they covered. Yeah. And then the ones that I had heard of, they shit all over. So I was like, what is, what is the point of this? I don't know. It was such a niche. I don't know. Like, like they. Co- <sighs> well, like I could understand being more critical of bands that are popular and maybe bands that are doing things specifically to get more popular like i get why you would be critical of that you should be critical of that but yeah like you can't hate everything i don't know like i feel like they did not have objective criticism it was very it was very driven by and the same mentality that made pitchfork what it is yeah of We'll we'll shit on everything and we'll only like the most obscure things because it looks cool. Like, yeah, eh, yeah. I don't know. Maximum Rock and Roll ending or ending its print publication. It just reminds me of many of the things that are very annoying about punk and DIY culture. Where I don't know. It's very much about being cool, (laughs) even though it's not supposed to. Yeah. Like, they specifically say they're not trying to be cool. I don't know. 
I don't know. I don't want to rant too hard. I understand it's an important magazine. It just yeah. it just never appealed to me. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't really make me sad though. So. <laughs> I don't know. I mean if it was razor cake I would care, but And the thing with like I don't read razor cake either. <laughs> I don't either. Because you flip who through it and it's like who's in, who are these bands? <laughs> like ninety percent of it. And yeah. yeah, it's a magazine, so it's like I can't even like click a link and and find out. I have to go look them up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had a new noise subscription, and I was like, this is cool and all, but I don't even read mostly magazine. I flip through it and find the bands I like and read a little bit about that band, and then... Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, hey, I guess we can, um, unless there's anything else that's going on, we could uh, hop into our year. Yeah, let's go into, a, okay. into the charts. Uh, so, for this episode, we got the year 1996... And uh, as usual, we like to take a look at the Rate Your Music chart for the year. And right off the bat, I see three, maybe four trends going on in 96. So first off, this looks like when... Well, okay, here's it. So the three biggest trends, it looks like in 96, were also the most suburban trends that you could have the most uh white teen boy you could get (laughs) so we have the big pop punk skate punk boom going on so like there's propagandis let's talk more rock uh there's the descendants everything sucks avail 4am friday bouncing souls maniacal laughter face to face strung out no effects mxpx so it's like a lot of this is what people think of whenever they think of punk. This is kind of the image they have in their head. Yeah. Like, um, right. It's the, uh, it's the punk rock bowling lineup. The early, <laughs> the early night, the early nineties warp tour. Yeah. Yeah. But then, so you got those skater punk shits and then <laughs> skate fucks. <laughs> and then you've got, the emo boom looks like it happens right here. So there's uh, there's Texas is the reason. It's a pretty prominent year, yeah, for Midwest emo. Texas is the reason, Boys Life, Christy Front Drive, Jimmy at World Static Prevails, Parade, The Age of Octane, Promise Ring, Chamberlain. Like, it's it's pretty big year for that, um, for better or worse. I guess none of these, these are for the sad white boys. Yeah, none of these are, like, what I would consider bad 90s emo bands. Yeah. That Promise Ring s- is probably like the weakest thing. Yeah. These don't seem like the the real, real bad misogynistic stuff that came later. Though I'm sure there's plenty in there, actually, if you start digging in some lyrics. But I don't know. I don't hear people talking shit about Boys Life or Christy Front Drive as far as lyrical content. No. Yeah. <laughs> Giant's chair were a bunch of misogynist fucks. <laughs> what? And so that's your sad white boys. And now, and over here, you've got your nerdy white boys. And uh, with the third wave ska boom is oh yeah in full effect, which our album today reflects. But you've got <laughs> the what sublime self-titled oh man suicide machines less than Jake and real big fish. Goldfinger. Oh man. <laughs> Five Iron Frenzy. Skank and Pickle. MU three thirty. 
against all authority. Like it's like yeah. It's a it's... big year for third wave ska. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a huge year. Cause what? That's the first uh five iron record, isn't it? And like Yeah. It's the first Aquabats record. Uh yeah. you gave it away. Yeah, I spoiled it. <laughs> We're doing the Aquabats. Yep. But uh before um, we we can talk more about ska as we talk about the Aquabats. What are the other so okay, there's a weird lesser one. trends, I guess. Yeah, so Riot Girl looks like it's going on here because there's a Slater Kinney album called The Doctor and a Bikini Kill album. Um, what's that one called? Reject All American, All American Rejects. <laughs> um, so that's like the then, second Slater Kinney record. Yeah, and I think it's the second. It's the second Bikini Kill too. Yeah. And uh, there's a Luna Chicks album that year. There aren't that many Riot Girl albums, but I mean the fact that you have Slater Kinney. Bikini Kill and Luna Chicks all releasing an album in the same year means that you're still in the middle of it. And then there's the what do you call this? This it's post hardcore, like a uh, Polvo, un- yeah, unwound, I mean, yeah, Jawbox, self-titled, uh, Lungfish, At the Drive-In. Those, uh, I guess, that's what S- you would what Tropics what and Meridians by June of Forty Four. It's your uh, ladder. 90s discord stuff yeah it's your smart punks like it's your <laughs> it's your what would be pitchwork punk today i guess <laughs> you've got some screamo mm-hmm. not as much as you'd think like there's no. a spaz record and yeah there's like a shot maker record and not a whole lot else uh here's a weird trend i noticed though that i guess people wouldn't necessarily call it a trend but it's like the garage punk, blues punk thing. So there's like an Oblivions album, which I don't know who that is. Uh, there's a uh, the Social D album. There is the John Spencer Blues Explosion, Turbo Negro, uh, the makeup. Like, this is weird. Kind of like a little blip. Like, it wasn't... I don't think of that as a really big 90s trend, but it seems like this year there's just a little a little uh, bubble of it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that is. Where that came from? Who who inspired that? Would it be? Nineties uh, were weird. Nineties is we also had a swing revival, <laughs> and like a rockabilly boom and psychobilly boom and yeah, like a lot of genres that you've never heard of, like cowpunk. Were <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The only other, yeah, I guess the only other thing worth maybe commenting on. You've kind of got some well, like. Other than the post-hardcore screamo stuff, you've got your metallic hardcore stuff, like uh, Petitioning the Empty Sky by Converge, uh, and like a 108 record, but it's, you get further back and you start seeing like those weaker uh, Earth Crisis and Madball records. It's kind of that, it's kind of that in-between period from like the big hardcore bands of the early 90s and then like the metalcore bands. Which yeah. you don't really start to see take off until like ninety eight. So looking at these trends, does this confirm our theory about when things are kind of better socially, politically? Does the music sound happier? Because there's not that much like heavy stuff. There's yeah, there's definitely more like fun stuff like ska yeah. and ska. I mean, a lot of it. I can't say punk is at its best this year. <laughs> no. There's some good stuff here. It's just, but yeah, there's also a lot of bad stuff. But yeah, I, and I guess your like 
your smart, uh, politically conscious punk bands are more, they're not as general. They're, they're more specific about their, their, Mm -hmm. uh, critiques of politics and culture and society. Because you you think about Jawbox, like, they're not really writing music that's, like, just, like, broadly, fuck the government. They're like, (laughs) these actions by the, you know, by Congress and these law. they're maybe talking maybe more about, like, like the always present issues with government and law enforcement and... Well, I changed my mind entirely because this is the year that uh, Anti-Flags Die for the Government came out. So I was completely wrong. This completely destroys my theory about... (laughs) (laughs) It's one of the most searing anti-political... Or does that that maybe just prove that (laughs) Anti-Flag were clueless? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. For Anti-Flag to be such a pop-punk band, they wrote... Funny, I would have like, thought Die for Your Government came out in, like, Bush era. Nope. I didn't know it was that old. So, yeah. like, what were they singing about? Like, you're gonna go to Kosovo after the bombs? I don't know. <laughs> That's shit! I mean, you, gotta, you gotta die, you gotta die, gotta die for the government, die for your country, that shit. <laughs> There's no real, like... Look at these songs. Uh, drink, drink, punk. <laughs> you know what? The- Red, white, and... And brainwash. It feels like Dead Kennedys, like politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. <laughs> Summer Squatter, Go Home, Police State in the USA, and Fuck Police Brutality. Those songs actually probably are way as relevant today as they were back then. But I'm wondering if they were even saying anything. Yeah. So I got pretty f- far back. I'm up in like the hundreds, and I'm seeing things that should be way higher. Which is, I guess, is always true. But I want to point out these two, which struck me as really odd. Uh, Torches to Rome, self-titled. Hell yeah. Um, and, like, uh, Unorthodox by Indecision. Yeah. Both of those should be in the top oh, yeah. 100. Especially Indecision, because that is, like... Right, that's a big record. Yeah. And it's lower than, crazy. like, uh, Gamora <laughs> by uh, Earth Crisis. Well, uh, do we want to talk about Third Wave Ska and the Aquabats? Yeah, so... We got number 89 on the punk charts, and it is the Aquabats, Return of the Aquabats.
This is the debut album from one of the best ska bands, are they? They're one of the few third wave ska bands that I still listen to occasionally. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I can't say regularly. Yeah, not really. I mean, I I bought that uh, The Fury of the Aquabats reissue the first time on vinyl, actually. Right. Because for some reason, none of their albums have been pressed on vinyl. I mean, I, I know the real reason. It was the late 90s. All right. And, yeah. They didn't start until 96. Yeah. So so let's uh, let's run down the basics, <laughs> which with this band is quite a lot. Um, <laughs> so this album came out on Horchata Records, which, as far as I can tell, is the band's own label. Um, Horchata. This was a self-released uh, CD. It, I think the label is run by one of one of the members brother but uh yeah they haven't really the only thing they've ever put out was like aquabats and aquabats related releases is like i said it's their debut album they are from the distant island of aquabania and they are a group of superheroes who also perform music but in real life they're from huntington beach california (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and they're a bunch of nerds they're an orange county band that wanted to simultaneously be a tv show as well as a band? I don't, I don't know what... I guess the band came first. I think... I've never been so sure. Like, it seems like they wanted to work in children's television, have a, have a kid's show, more or less from the get-go. Yeah. And they were just kind of like, we'll just be a band. <laughs> and that'll be kind of like how we start to build that. Because they... Yeah, because they... I mean, they embraced it immediately. But, I don't know, when they started... They played every show with like a different theme. Like they, like I don't know. Like this this show, they played up. They, they all wore hula skirts. In this show, they all, you know, they, they weren't always the Aquabats. Yeah. So they came up with the Aquabats costume and look because they were tired of carrying around all the different costumes and like wearing them for different. I mean, so I guess yeah, you're right. There is there's something there as far as their larger intentions i don't know um let's run through the band members real quick so the personnel uh is the caped commander aka christian jacobs on vocals he would later change his name to mc bat commander with his uh blacked out tooth and drawn on mustache (laughs) which i don't think he had at this point so there's chainsaw aka courtney pollock on guitar the Brain, a.k.a. Ben Burgesson on guitar. They had two guitars. Crash McLarson, a.k.a. Chad Larson on bass, who is the only other long-serving member of the band besides uh, yeah. MC Bat Commander. The only two that have been there from the beginning. Uh, Roddy B, a.k.a. Rod Arellano on drums. Nacho, a.k.a. Chad Parkin on organ. Catboy, a.k.a. Boyd Terry on trombone. Prince A, a.k.a. Adam Debert on trumpet. And there's a few additional musicians. Uh, ben Schultz on alto sax, John Pantle on trombone, and Jim Barnes on a trumpet solo. The They sold 24,000 copies of this CD without label support. <laughs> Just themselves. Yeah. 
which shows you either how good the Aquabats were or how big Ska was. Maybe it's both. Well, yeah. So, like, I mean, they started touring with, like, big bands really early on. Yeah. Like, it, it seems like they started touring with, like, No Doubt and Sublime and, like, shortly after this album. Were they tours? I know there's a lot of video footage of them playing around with them, but I thought that was, like, at a music festival. Oh, yeah, you're right. It is touring. Yes, it's touring along the likes of such commercially successful bands as No Doubt, Sublime, and Real Big Fish, bringing them to the brink of achieving mainstream recognition, which is true. They never quite tipped over because no one knows who the Aquabats are outside of people who paid attention to ska music or maybe people with kids (laughs) from their TV shows. Yeah, I was just trying to see if I could find any old tour posters or anything. I mean, I just read that on Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, and... But I, I, almost calling the Aquabats strictly a ska band is a little bit of a stretch, too, because they kind of played a little bit of everything. There's ska there, there's surf there, there's, like, some Middle Eastern tones <laughs> and some, uh... I mean, that would some, just be uh, surf, chromatic scales. And... Yeah, um... Well, yeah, I mean, their intention was to play ska and surf and, like, a little new way. They were, I mean, they were clearly influenced by Devo. Right. That was one of their biggest influences, and that's what they wanted to play, I think. And I was going to ask this. Do you think if they had actually gone more in a Devo direction from the outset, if they'd have been more successful? Instead of, uh, yeah, getting tied to um, ska and yeah. then kind of, like, right. having to work harder to <laughs> to survive <laughs> the downfall of that genre. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, if they had... Yeah, if they had written more, like, new wavy songs... But that's the thing is, they would have been really weird in the 90s that's to be true. doing new wave. Like, no one would have wanted to hear someone trying to do Devo in 96, 97. Because yeah. people would have been over the 80s. It's like if someone were to try and do, like, early 2000s shit today. It's like, ugh, why? <laughs> hey, man, that's coming. I know. Early 2000s metalcore is actually kind that's of already popular back, right yeah. now. <laughs> we'll talk about that more on our EP. <laughs>
Yeah, and if they'd gone more in a surf direction, which is what was really was popular. And there was that, like, 50s, 60s kitsch was super popular in the 90s. And they kind of fell right into it because it, I guess it reminded people of, like... Of, well, yeah, like, like... Batman and Robin TV show. 60s Batman and, and Robin, yeah. Yeah. And cheap sci-fi films and... Yeah. I mean, there's no time other than the mid-90s in which the Aquabats could have gotten popular. <laughs> yeah. Because people... Because, like I said, if they would have gone in the more surf direction, then I feel like they would have been left behind even more so than uh, the Ska band. Be- right, I- because Ska, you at least had the crossover into punk. Yeah. And they could I mean, keep it that for a long time. think of all the with a dumb gimmick. Well, being a surf band is a dumb gimmick. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but unless I mean, you're like- fucking Dick Dale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Link Ray. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> if you were a, a, a band formed in the '90s to play surf music, <laughs> you are uh, yeah a joke. Yeah, <laughs> you were a joke then. You, yeah, that's the thing. But you, you know, that's the thing is, people are still playing surf. Like there are still yeah. there are new surf bands. There are surf bands in Phoenix. Problematic surf bands in Phoenix. <laughs> I think surf. Surf music kind of adopted a weird problematic thing. Garage well, rock, I could yeah, like, I mean, because it's all tied into the kitsch 50s, 60s, like tiki appropriation, and <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, like it's wrong, but like nobody's like really aggressively speaking out against it. So like people just kind of let it slide. I don't know. Yeah, that's probably because nobody gives a shit about a surf band today, <laughs> right? This, like I don't want to exert the brain power necessary to be angry about what a shitty surf band has said at a dive bar. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're not in front of very large crowds. Yeah. So this album. Do you want to talk? A, do you want to talk about the the little ways in which the Aquabats are problematic? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, we we can. There's plenty on this album, especially. I don't know if it's. Um, as obvious in later ones, but they definitely say the word midget a lot. Right. <laughs> Their first demo? Yeah. What is it called? The Revenge of the Midget Punchers? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they have a song about, like, midget pirates? Yeah. On, like, a Captain later Captain. album? What, on Fury? That's the one... Yeah, it's the one after this one, so it's not that much later. It's not like it was on Charge. <sighs> yeah. yeah. Which is their best album. Um... Yeah, the, 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 there's a little bit of what macho ness going on here too. Like, I definitely heard them in a few songs called "People Sissies" or like <laughs> uh, the mach, the macho thing. I can see that being more a parody than yeah, than in, than like queer bashing. I don't, <laughs> I don't think that's yeah. what they were going for <laughs> with that. But <sighs> yeah, it's just kind of like. Oh no! <laughs> and it, it, I, it seems very much to come from a place of ignorance. Yeah, because it's eight white dudes from Orange County, California, in the nineties. Of course, they're going to be ignorant. <laughs> uh, well, not all white guys. Um, no, not all men. 
<laughs> no, I said that they weren't all white guys on this oh. album. Um, <laughs> their drummer was... Roddy B, yeah. Uh, Latino. He may be the only one, though. Yeah. I think the rest are... <laughs> Which he could have potentially I mean, left. I mean, he... He, Nacho, and the brain, the brain, Roddy B, and Nacho all left after this album. Yeah, they, I mean, as a ska band with eight bands, of course, they're gonna have them turn over. <laughs> Though, weirdly, Five Iron Frenzy only changed one band member entire 10 year run. Um, yeah, it <laughs> so okay. There are f- there are four good songs on this album, <laughs> right? I was, I was wondering when we were gonna get to that, too. Like, this one's not good. This is probably the worst Aquabats album, right? Easily the worst Aquabats album. It's the worst recorded. It's the worst written. There are two marches on this album. <laughs> the Sky Robot Army and Aquabat March are both marches. Sky Robot Army is a little better, but it's also two and a, two minutes and 11 seconds. So it's a whole minute shorter than Aquabat March. Um, yeah, the four good songs. Play-Doh, Martian Girl, Idiot Box, and CD Repo Man. Yeah. Right. Uh, I would say Tarantula isn't bad yeah. tarantula does well it starts off their weird here's a story song in the middle of the yeah. album trend that they n- never stop doing uh <laughs> tarantula's got a good chorus though and that's what makes yeah. it worth listening to uh, but then you got uh marshmallow man like i can't even remember how that goes i know it's it's kind of the start of them having a monster to fight yeah. on stage um then there's the baffling song pension roll which a gross out it's warning a of, it's a song about itchy balls yeah it's about <laughs> scratching your scrotum <laughs> and how to do it it's a how-to song yeah. with a with a catchy chorus yeah it is it is kind of catchy <laughs> wish they had written but different lyrics for this song because <laughs> then I, you're just like have been one the of song's the- called pension roll please be about a doobie <laughs> no they're mormons so it's not about that at all <laughs> they are mormon yeah i think christian main dude is at least christian jacobs i'm pretty sure is a mormon is he still mormon i don't know i wouldn't be surprised he makes 
children's entertainment. Uh, he hasn't let the Aquabats go for 20 years. <laughs> Let's see. Where's Jacob Christian? He's like one of five kids. And You know, I always forget this, but Christian Jacobs was a child actor. In what? He was, um, well, he was Joey Stivic on the short-lived All in the Family spinoff of Gloria. Um, so I think he was actually a recurring character on that one. But he showed up in Pretty in Pink, and he's on like a couple episodes of, he's on episodes of Married with Children and Roseanne. Weird. He was in Gleaming the Cube, which is a skateboarding movie. He was also in uh, something to do with, uh, he did some skateboarding stuff too, with like Jason Lee and... He designed board graphics for Tony Hawk. Uh, here we go. Here's the Mormon stuff. He's the great-grandson of prominent Mormon leader LeGrand Richards. Jacobs is a lifelong member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In 1991, he left the United States to serve as a missionary in Sendai, Japan. Wow. And, uh, yeah. He went to Japan to be a Mormon mission. Uh, I think, like, I think you're, like, required to. <laughs> if yeah. you're a Mormon, yeah. I think you... Uh, I had a coworker uh, at a previous job who she left because she was going to like Peru or something for a mission. Mm-hmm. She was Mormon. Yeah, worked at the coffee shop. Couldn't drink coffee. <laughs> that is yeah, weird. yeah. Christian Jacobs is an avid surfer, skateboarder, Japanese toy collector, and artist. So he probably chose Japan because he's like, I like Japan. <laughs> I'll go to Japan. <laughs> and he probably was a terrible missionary. <laughs> He's just buying all these Japanese toys. <laughs> Jacob. Christian. Jacob's oh, right, last yeah. name. <laughs> Jacobs. Because there are many Jacobs. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Is, so so he's, he's still Mormon. Mormon. That's weird. I, I would have thought maybe he was more like uh, the dude from Jimmy Eat World where he's just like not Mormon anymore, but is still like super clean because he grew up Mormon forever. <laughs> I mean, I guess he is a Mormon in California. I don't know if that, you know, like, in the television industry. So I don't know how, like, super devout he is. But uh, not crazy enough to not do the Aquabats for 25 fucking years. (laughs) Uh, But not so Mormon that they made the Aquabats a Mormon superhero band. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, because I'm pretty sure most of the rest of the band was not Mormon. So, So, yeah, the... (sighs) The songs. So, <laughs> I was wondering why, whenever they decided to press uh, the Fury of the Aquabats on vinyl, why they skipped the Fury of the Aquabats. And then when I went back and listened to it for the show, and I was like, oh yeah, that was the right decision. The right call. Like, they could have done it, and they would have sold a lot of copies, probably. Yeah. But they're probably like, I don't want to. There's not a lot of, like I said, four good songs, and... Three of those songs are all re-recorded and put on Fury of the Aquabats, the second album. Right. Plato, Martian Girl, and Idiot Box are all on. <laughs> Plato's a hidden bonus track, and Idiot Box is actually a cover of Christian's brother Parker's band, Go-Go 13, which were a spy-themed band. <laughs> the gimmicks. Yeah. Um, oh, that reminds me. I wanted to ask you, why were you and I so prone to liking gimmick bands? Um, I don't know. What What are some other good examples? Well, okay. I guess the other big one is, like, we had our Flogging Molly period. Yeah. And a little bit of a Google Bordello period. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else? And I mean, I guess in fairness to those bands, like, there are, 
their gimmick is like i don't know i guess somewhat credible in terms of like it's <laughs> yeah. yeah it's actual like cultural and musical influence <laughs> it's yeah. not just it's costumes not just a costume <laughs> with them. yeah yeah flogging molly is actually fronted by an irish guy and and uh lead, lead singer of google bordellos from the ukraine and is he Roma as well? Yeah. I assume he is. He acts like he is. <laughs> he he pretends like he is if he isn't. <laughs> well, yeah, he uses a word a lot that he shouldn't if he's not Roma. <laughs> right. um, no, I believe he is Roma. Yeah. I don't know about the rest of the people in that band, but he hired them, so I guess that's his call. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think with those, that was because Sidewind Dummy put out the Warped Tour comps, and they're like, let's put all our weird gimmick bands, because... I don't know if a lot of people remember this. Sidewind Dummy was like a gimmick record label for a long time. Half the bands on the label had some gimmick. Let's say pre-Gaslight. And even then, you could argue (laughs) Gaslighter is a gimmick. Right. Like, Sidewind... Like, I I have always wondered, like, did Sidewind Dummy put that record out? Because they were like, hey, this is a good gimmick band for our gimmick label. (laughs) (laughs) Here's our 50 band. (laughs) Because they had, at the same time, Gaslight Anthem, Floggy Molly, Gogol Bordello. Who else did they have? They had some other real weird ones. Bedouin Sound Clash. Kind of like a r- sort of reggae thing. Uh, the Casualties, who are... <laughs> their gimmick is they're punks. <laughs> That's their costume. <laughs> Reverend Peyton's Big Damn Band. <laughs> the Dan Band. VCR. <laughs> and the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Their gimmick is they're... From Boston, <laughs> and that was before. Then they started like actually branching out, and but even then they got AJJ. That's a folk band. What else? Pew pew pew. Aren't they like a hip hop thing? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, they. I guess they've done like pup and. That's all later. Yeah. Stuff. Like no, yeah. I mean, they. Tr- they became a serious label. iteration, but yeah. I mean, they did ska. Uh, they did those piebald yeah, records that. too, so there's some credibility yeah. there. But at the, even then, it could have been like, "This is our piano band." Yeah, because <laughs> those were the piano albums, yeah. right? Yeah, because yeah, they did all eyes, all ears, and accidental gentlemen, which are the two real piano albums. Because they didn't even do we we're the only friends. That was Defiance Records. I always forget. Uh, did you say this already? I always forget that Sidewind Dummy had slick shoes. Oh no, I didn't. That's say that. their Christian yeah, band. They did. <laughs> That was yeah. Then MXPX replaced them. <laughs> they also put Jeff Rosenstock albums out, <sighs> so we can add another to the list of war crimes. <laughs> Jeff Rosenstock is playing at a this like coffee shop restaurant that's like down the street from me. I think he's like playing there like this weekend or something soon. <laughs> <laughs> is this that tour with Joyce Manor? I don't know. Maybe it's like a one-off because it's not a venue. Yeah, like, I assumed he's just playing acoustic. It's probably one of his stupid bring your instruments oh, shows. Gosh. That place is not very big. It's going to be a clusterfuck. Yeah. Though, I wonder I, if AJJ's. No, it was just town. a couple of days ago. Oh, no, ago. wait. So, uh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, it's, this is definitely the worst Aquabats album. Um, and they were smart and they took the, you know, three of the best songs and re recorded them. Yeah. For later albums. Um,. <laughs> I'm always surprised they didn't redo CD Repo Man too, because it's I don't know. I guess it's got the Repo Man like sound clips in it, so maybe they didn't want to bother bringing that one over. Yeah. So they do a couple of 
things on this record that remind me of like they do they have these song intros that remind me of like uh some of those specials songs that have like the intro where he's like through the megaphone like or at least it sounds like a megaphone just kind of like yelling in the intro and like and it, it reminded me it made me wonder how did ska go from like cool as fuck <laughs> like you look at the specials and they're like damn they're so cool like they're just yeah, like, like sharp like yeah like suits and like <laughs> they make like cool music the and then to like pudgy suburban Hawaiian shirts, Hawaiian shirts <laughs> puffy skate shoes uh here's how they stopped hanging out with black people <laughs> yeah I guess that is true they became all white bands <laughs> It came to America, and it became something that only suburban white kids listen to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. because if you think about all those great 80s ska bands, they were called Two-Tone for a couple reasons, right. and one of them was racial inclusion, <laughs> and that's why The Selector and The English and The Beat and uh, The Specials, I don't know, they're better bands because they took influences from outside of uh, one race. <laughs> yeah so it's really the clash's fault sort of true <laughs> and green day and who is responsible for for popular for like you, really popularizing sky in the u.s like it, i mean the clash introduced a lot of americans to ska and reggae yeah and bad brains introduced a lot of americans to reggae a lot of american punks and then they just like didn't realize that they shouldn't do that music <laughs> like if they had yeah, like no be. actual caribbean connection like they shouldn't do that music <laughs> yeah because because like i like the clash i don't think they should have done reggae songs no did joe strummer's band later have any people of color in in the mescal mescaleros or whatever they're called or is that just more white dudes pretty sure it was all white dudes yeah so he didn't British learn blokes yeah. No. Oh, no, yeah. Joe Strummer's not perfect. No. None of them are. I mean, none of the early punks are. Oh, you know who it but... is? Here it is. Here it is. It's not necessarily The Clash. It's Rancid's fault. Yes. Well, yes. Rancid wanted to be Rancid? The Clash. Yes. And so that means they also stole the reggae. Yeah. And Rancid blew up just before the reggae or the ska boom, right? Yeah. That's what it is. It has to be what it is. But at least, at least Tim Armstrong realized maybe I should uh, sign some reggae bands, you know, <laughs> black people in, the, in the, with Hellcat Records. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. Yeah, I mean, in all reality, Aquabat should have been a Devo-inspired band because Devo were all white guys. <laughs> they almost should have embraced it, but I don't know. Aquabat just kind of dropped the ska stuff fairly early on, cause like Fury's got some ska songs on it, but does. Um, what's the third album called? Does that have much ska on it, really? Well, yeah, I mean, they just kind of did the thing that a lot of third wave ska bands did where they just really started writing more straightforward punk songs with horns. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Aquabats also were like, here's our song about snakes. And <laughs> that doesn't amount to anything. Like, I don't... Yeah, uh, yeah looking at uh, their third album versus The Floating Eye... I don't even really see any ska songs on there. It's almost like they 
embrace the surf stuff more. Well, the surf and the Devo stuff. I mean, because, like, Charge yeah. is pretty synthy and... Well, your charge is because they don't have any yeah. more players. Um, Floating Eyes still has some has a trumpet and the sax and but yeah, charge is the one where they like lost all their members <laughs> except for like the stringed instruments and the drummer and the synthesizer. Well, I feel like we yeah. could, there's still more we could say about the Aquabats. That's the funny thing. Like you talk about yeah, their I TV mean, guess... show and <laughs> their attempted pilot in the '90s. Yo Gabba Gabba, the time we saw them live. Yeah, we didn't even touch on that. Yeah, <laughs> and we're yeah, it's we're going pretty long at this point too. So, well, we'll save it. Maybe we'll talk about the Aquabats in the future. Um, I like the Aquabats. I know it's corny, it's cheesy, it's kitschy. I guess I don't listen to it all the yeah, time. I mean, I think they have some genuinely funny songs. Yeah, I mean, and like Martian Girls great that's the best song really album. catchy songs and yeah i mean they're it's fine it's not serious music but it's fine it doesn't have to be yeah that was the point it was supposed to just be fun so and maybe that's why aquabats had the longevity that a lot of other ska bands didn't is that they were like nah we're silly yeah. you can't look at them and go well that's a serious band yeah they didn't try to <laughs> yeah they didn't try and mustard plug it and do that one album where they're like all pensive and black and white. <laughs> and... Yeah. <laughs> Play Mr. Smiley. No, we're only playing. We're only playing later. Sad but... ska songs. <laughs> mm. Nobody wants that. People barely want ska in the first place. Yeah, we're only here because this is supposed to be fun. <laughs> That's why Real Big Fish and Liz and Jake are still a band. Yeah. Because they didn't try and get serious. Ugh. Well, do we want to talk about our EP? A, yeah. Oh, what do you want our gift this album? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Three oh, just for the I four good down. songs? Because they are, like, really good man. ones. That's the thing. Yeah, they are genuinely good songs. Man, why did I write down a 4.0? I do not feel that way at all. <laughs> <laughs> I must have been swept up in those... Like, I do love them. I love that. Uh. The nostalgia? I don't know. Because I, I yeah. felt like it was a chore to listen to this record. Yeah. Because really? I finished this album and immediately started listening to Fury. <laughs> Mainly because I was like, what's the difference in the recordings? There's not much of a difference. It just sounds a little better recorded. The horns sound a little better. Um, yeah, I, I'd give it 3.5 because I feel like those, those four songs that I do really like are really good. And there are really not that many actual songs on the album <laughs> the aquabat march and sky robot army are marches so they're barely songs uh and tarantula is a story song which is hardly a song in itself um yeah yeah i give it three point five. why not welp i liked it a hell of a lot more than our ep <laughs> june okay so for our eps we got number 106 and it is darkest hour the misanthrope. Let's 
It's uh, it's not the darkest hour you want. No, not at all. Uh, yeah, and I think they did wind up letting. They realized that they maybe weren't quite ready yet because they didn't release anything else in 1999. So that's <gasps> that's uh, crazy. Two yeah. years. Why were they around? <laughs> well, they so, formed in '95, even. Yeah, from Washington D.C. Uh, this was released on Death Truck Records. <laughs> I could find zero about that label. It said something said it was a defunct label. I'm wondering if it was a self-release thing and they just said that they were a label. Um, personnel, John Henry on vocals, Mike Schliebaum on guitar, Ray Mayorga on bass, and Matt Mappin on drums. And uh, here's here's something you might know. It was produced by Howard Pyle. Oh, yeah. Who is uh, the bass? Who played bass in Frodus? Yeah, Howard Pyle would have been on F Letter. He would have only been on F Letter, actually. He was on something. Maybe else. an EP. It was another, yeah, and then he's on like Radioactivity, and uh, because I mean, he was one of the longer running bass players because um, mm-hmm. he was in the band from '95 to '97. Yeah, so he was on a couple of those EPs early on, but. But he's like post Fireflies, yeah, yeah. He's he's in that weird little period between Fireflies and Conglomerate. Oh yeah. So this is the Darkest Hour debut. So what's the deal with it? Like, <laughs> like it, there's like no information on it. No, very little. So did they like make this EP and then it wasn't good and they just didn't do anything? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if they just chose not... Did they play? Did they just... I would be surprised if they played. Like, I don't know what the deal is. They. I'm looking at their... Uh... Yeah. All it says is, they released their EP on a label called Death Truck. Then they cut a single for a compilation. The song proceeds at a slower, grueling tempo in comparison to the upbeat tempo the band would later become known for. <laughs> And they released the Prophecy Fulfilled in 1999, which sounds more like the Mark of yeah. Judas. Um, yeah, I'm so glad they figured out how to play fast, because this this EB, EP drags ass. <laughs> the songs are way too long. Most of them are like four, five, yeah. six minutes. Yeah, long this songs. is a 29-minute EP. Six-song EP. Um, So, did you hear the... Um, some cinder and smoke in here. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what happens when you take like two metal guys and they and make them play hardcore with two hardcore guys? Because <laughs> John Henry and no Mike Sleepbomb is the guitarist who's been in the band for the entire run. 
But John Henry's a hardcore dude, didn't he? Like, essentially. Yeah, I think so. And then Ryan Parrish, who later plays drums, is like a... He's a hardcore dude, because he... No, but Mike Schliebaum played... Didn't he play in Beast of No... Beast, Beast of No Burden? Beast of Burden? What's the name of that band? Beast of No Nation. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Beast of Burden! <laughs> uh, Beast of No Nation. He's in that hardcore band from Washington, D.C. So yeah, it's hardcore guys playing metal music, and they don't know how to play it yet. <laughs> There's a song on here that I'm like... Did Cinder and Smoke accidentally rip off Darkest Hour? <laughs> Arrive at the same conclusion separately? <laughs> yeah. 20 years one apart. Sounds exact, it sounds exactly like one of our songs. <laughs> Which one? Uh, I think it's the first track. It's like, God, I like a dun, 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 dun. That sounds like... <laughs> And then they did the, we did the same trick they did, where instead of writing like another part to the song, they would just write, they would just play the one part faster. <laughs> Speed it up, double time. Yeah, instead of just writing another part. Or it's just ending uh, the song. Yeah, it's true. The song didn't need to be six minutes long. <sighs> it's it's, it's not good. There are little There's parts here and there that are good, but it's just you have to trudge through so much. Bad, bad metalcore. Mm-hmm. Like it's, ugh. like John Henry's vocals aren't even where they wound up being later. Mike Schliebaum's guitar is like, what is he? He doing? doesn't. He just doesn't really do anything. He doesn't do anything he's known for. Yeah, yeah. It's super breakdowny. The drums are just which there. It, which in that regards, it reminds me of 
a lot of the really breakdowny hardcore that's been popular the last couple of years that just doesn't do anything. It just yeah, just kind of churns. Yeah, it's this was difficult to listen to. Um, I don't know. Like I, uh, I can't even find anything on it that I really like. Maybe a couple riffs here and there, but it's just nothing to it. It's just mm. yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's good we went long on the Aquabats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got nothing. Sorry. <laughs> you want to listen to a long, boring metalcore album? Right. EP? It's the length. Yeah. It's like the length of a metalcore album. <laughs> yeah. I. I don't see how anybody could even dance to it. You know. I mean, they could because hardcore kids will dance to anything. Yeah. But I don't know, man. It's bad, and it's funny because it. Whereas the Aquabats totally reflect 1996, this does not even really represent the year at all. Because the hardcore that is going on around at this time is Converge, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Converge wasn't really popular, is though, it? when that album came out. I think that album is True. very retroactively charting higher. Yeah. I guess it would have been then yeah. Earth Crisis, because that was the other like big hardcore record. There wasn't a ton of... Let's look real quick. What's the metalcore scene in 1996 putting out? Vision of Disorder. Uh, there's see, there's Bloodlet, and they're slow, but they're interesting. Uh, there's a 108 album, kind of the same. They aren't like a super fast band, so maybe this is what hardcore was metalcore was doing. Uh, there's Cable. They're kind of noisy. Indecision Unorthodox, which that's not slow. That's a fast album, but they're more of a hardcore band because there's Overcome and Unashamed and Focal Point and Turmoil. Yeah, so I think Metalcore hadn't discovered the uh, uh, At The Gates riffs yet, and that's why <laughs> it was boring. Well, I don't know, because I mean, like, Metalcore stuff from a little bit later that wasn't, like, Gothenburg-influenced, like, Zeo. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, I don't know, maybe it's just not there yet, as far as, hmm. But you know, people, in general, you don't, Metal in the 90s wasn't. It's not the best period of metal, with the exception of maybe the creation of black metal yeah. and death metal. Your extreme forms, but like as far as you had, what were the trends in metal in the '90s? Still doing thrash, way later than they should have been. Yeah, Gro- groove metal. Groove, yeah, Either, yeah. There's probably yeah. There's probably like a Sepultura record in '96 and like yeah, prong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, you would have started to get, like, uh, Carcass? I don't know. Yeah, Death Metal. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you had your Death Metal, and you had your Black Metal forming and kind of blowing up. Just out of curiosity, the top the top metal records from 1996. This is also... It's really weird. There's only five pages. Weird. <clears throat> um, Gravedigger, a power metal band. Iced Gross. Earth, a power metal band. Nevermore, <laughs> prog metal band, and then like Impelitary. I don't even know who they are. What did you type in? Heavy metal. metal. Oh, heavy metal. That's why you're getting you. I, if you just type metal, you get twenty three oh, wow. pages. <laughs> so you're just in the. Uh, but it has metal. all the subgenres Sub-genre. too. Like that's weird that they don't categorize death metal and black metal under heavy metal, which is the original genre of metal. Yeah, I think heavy metal now is primarily referring to new wave of British heavy metal and then like power metal. Because if you look at the metal category, number one is Cryptopsy and then Burzum 
and then tool and then neurosis so it's um this is also this definitely has to be a retroactive rating too because i don't think people were talking about opeth in 1996 no but that neurosis record was a big deal yeah that one was there's a type of negative album on here uh i hate god <laughs> dope sick antichrist superstar by marilyn manson came out that year <laughs> rage against the machines evil empires on <laughs> yeah we get a little further back you've got uh like a gorgoroth record and uh well so, yeah there's pantera okay. there is a lot there is a lot going on metal wise i don't know maybe just metalcore just it was in its infancy essentially and it hadn't learned the yeah the yeah i mean earth that, your your earth crises are winding down and your converges are just starting so yeah and I'm wondering if this was something that they recorded it just because they were like a new band. They were excited to record something, so they recorded it and put it out when they probably shouldn't have. Which Yeah, they should have written more and tried to mm. find a sound. Which they did later. I mean, very easily. Uh, and I'm wondering if the addition of a second guitarist, too, is really what helped. Because is there two guitarists on the Mark of Judas? I assume there is. Yeah. So... I think the addition of a second guitarist is what really kicked them off. Though I never did listen to the follow-up, The Prophecy Fulfilled, so I don't know if it's just as slow, but... Well, what would you rate this? What would you rate it? Oh! (laughs) Uh, Okay, I would give it a 2.5? Is that generous? Only because you... uh, Yeah, like a 2.5, because you know what they became... Yeah, I guess that's true. I'm gonna then I am gonna. There's, I mean, there's nothing like truly incompetent. So that's why it should at least get a two. There's nothing interesting though. That's yeah. for sure. So I'm gonna give it a two, two point yeah. Well, what are we doing next week? Next week we're going back to the '70s. Our favorite. Um, we're gonna cover the year 1978, and we got number ten on the album charts, and it is the Saints eternally yours and on the ep chart we got joy to number six and it's joy division and ideal for living very first ep yeah so we we got some classic punkses um i think of our 70s this one other than the ramones i think this is the one i'm most excited about talking about yeah because any other 70s we've covered i've not been terribly excited by like uh yeah we'll save it for next time i guess but um yeah, uh, as always, continue to follow it. Man, we ended this show on like a down note. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> just Darkest Hour just took it out of us. Uh, it was. It seemed more promising. We were just like, all right, Darkest Hour. That's an important band. Yeah, not an important release. Not at all. <laughs> all right. Well, continue to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at Pod. Uh, our website is punklottopod.simplecast.fm, and an email address is punklottopod at gmail.com. Uh, we got some cool feedback from Nate Gerald in, Bur- in Born Blind. He uh, he kind of informed us of uh, that most of our information on that episode was pretty accurate. We just had like the wrong eight, uh, member's age or something like that. but And we were right. He was never actually a member of No Innocent Victim, so that Wikipedia article was false. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Give us some feedback. Tell us what you like. If we have some wrong information. If you know something about Darkest Hour's first EP, then tell us if you worked at Death Truck <laughs> Records. What else hey, Mike Schleybaum, yell at us. Yeah. Uh, 
And I guess that'll do it. Rate, review, and subscribe. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. I guess we'll cue the clip then. Your Honor, this guy has been making bootleg Simpsons merchandise. Bart Scampson. He is quite a scamp. Scompson. Bart Scompson. Ska, like the music, ska. Ska. You know, ska. I just thought it was scamp misspelled. You don't know ska? In all your education, you've got to go to law school and everything and judge school or whatever it is you go to and you don't know the word ska? Welcome to America, friend. Learn music. Your Honor, I do not have a problem in general with bootleg Simpsons merchandise. I approve of the Bart Sanchez and Bart Pimpson even. But this is the worst pun ever. It's a thinker. you got to think about it. As the creator of The Simpsons, this makes my eyes hurt. What's the problem? It's completely off-model. Off-model of from what? He has supposed to have nine spikes of hair on his head. The pupils are the wrong size. He's watching the band. His pupils are looking forward onto the stage. They're too big. They're he, too because big. he's enjoying the music. He's not used to it because he wants to go see Beethoven in classical music. Oh, the violin. This sucks.